It is an absolute fact that God is sovereign. That God is sovereign over all that takes place on the planet. God is sovereign over the entire universe. And the galaxies beyond all of our understanding are all within his control. There's nothing that, God, that is, exists that is not under the authority and the sovereignty of God. So I want you to keep that in mind today. God's sovereignty. The fact that he is in, the, in charge. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His omnipresence and his omnipotence. He's everywhere and he is all powerful. I want you to think of all of those things today as we talk a little bit about the joy set before him. The reality is the nails on the cross did not have the authority to hold Jesus. Think of it, keep it, remember it. The nails in his hands did not have sovereignty over Jesus because Jesus is part of the Godhead. Jesus is God. So nails can't hold God on the cross. It is a much bigger power, a much more authoritative power. It's a much more significant thing that holds Jesus on the cross. I want to read a passage for you from Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read a little more than what is on your screen, but I want you just to catch it in a little more context. Chapter 11 has just ended with this this great sort of litany of people of faith, people of dynamic faith through the ages. And as it's wrapping up in that process, we come to, to chapter 12, and it says this in verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud, so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The cross was Christ's commitment to you and I. The cross was Christ's commitment to you and I. If the nails don't keep Jesus on the cross, if in fact the nails are not what are holding him, then it has to be something else. And if you realize that it is his commitment to us that holds him there, it changes everything. This weekend, everyone is talking about the cross. They're talking about the crucifixion. They're talking about the resurrection. But as we are talking about those things, we have to know that that is, that is not representative. That is not representative of Jesus being forced to be there. It is representative of the fact that he wanted to be there. He committed himself to be there. So what we're talking about today is not just that Jesus was on the cross, that Jesus in fact died for us, but more deeply I want to talk about why he did it, why he stayed. In the passage we just read, it said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. 
looking to that joy, looking to something beyond the cross, he endured the cross. Now, on this planet where we live, I heard a preacher say we live in Friday, but we know about Sunday. We all live in a place where the resurrection of the saved has not yet happened, where God has not transformed the earth from its sinful nature and transformed it into a place where death doesn't reign. But the Bible says that will happen. And the assurity of that, the assurance of that, the first payment of that was the resurrection of Jesus. What's crazy about what we're talking about today is it begins to, to, to let us peek in to just take a little glimpse at the heartbeats of God, the things that are motivating what God does on our behalf. So remember, Jesus made a commitment to you and I that is expressed in the cross. I want to read you a couple of texts. In John chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus speaking now. Jesus speaking says, I lay down my life that I might take it up again. I lay down my life. No one took it from me. No one forced me to lay it down. I lay down my life. That's John chapter 10, verse 17. Verse 18 says, no one takes it from me. No one takes it from me. I want you to get this piece really clearly because if you don't understand this, you kind of get yourself in a bit of a quandary. Because was Jesus simply a a virgin in the volcano, just a sacrifice that had to happen? Was Jesus just some sort of grand, eternal sacrifice? Did God build this being, send him down to the planet, hang him on the cross, kill him so that you and I could live? If so, it's just another form of paganism. If so, it's just another kind of idolatry and just another kind of payment made so that God would not be so mad. A payment made so that God's anger would not would go away. But if in fact it is God on the cross, If, in fact, it is God on the cross, and that's what this text is saying. Jesus said, I lay down my life that I might take it up. He says, I have the authority to take my life back up. I laid it down. I will take it up again. No one takes it from me. I am giving it for you. I am giving it to you. If it is God on the cross, this is a completely different story. If it is God on the cross, then what we are looking at in this text, that we are looking at on this weekend, is something so far beyond what man has ever considered before. What we are looking at in this weekend is God's heart for man, expressed in an incredible event. And I want you to allow this thing to get bigger in your mind. Allow this thing to be whole. Because Jesus, as He is here on the planet, is fully human and fully God. So even though Jesus had told the disciples in John chapter 10 that no one was taking his life, that he was laying it down, by the time we get to that story of the weekend of Jesus' death, we start to see some changes. A lot is going on. Jesus has celebrated the Passover with the disciples. In that Passover service with the disciples, he tells them, this bread is my broken body, this this wine is my spilled blood. He begins to take the symbols of Passover, transform them, change them, express them in a different way so that the disciples would begin to understand that something is up. He's been telling them for weeks the crucifixion is coming. 
He's been telling them that he'll be pushed into the hands of evil men and that he will die for them, die on the cross. And, and he's been expressing it over and over and the disciples are missing it and missing it and, and at one point even denying that it's possible. Jesus is clear about what's coming. But do you remember the garden? Jesus is certain about what, he's ha- what is going to happen. But do you remember what happens in the garden? Jesus goes to the garden of Gethsemane. When he arrives in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember the story. The disciples are there. There there are 11 of them because Judas has already decided that he's going to go about a different kind of business. He's going to attack God. He's going to, in fact, turn Jesus over to to the Pharisees so that Jesus might be hung on the cross. Now, we can we can say a lot about Judas and perhaps in that moment, Judas believes that that God is is going to rescue him. Maybe Judas believes that he's forcing Jesus to do something to get himself down from the cross. That's, that's a discussion for a different time, but he's already committed to it. He's already left the room. Remember, he left the upper room and went, Jesus said, go and do what you must. So 11 disciples are there in the garden. Jesus splits the group, which he does regularly. And he takes Peter, James, and John, and he goes into the garden to a specific place. He goes to a, a place where he kneels and he prays. But before he gets to that place, he tells the disciples, stay here and pray for me. Think about that for a minute. Do you ever remember any other occasion when Jesus asked the disciples to pray for him? Jesus is, in fact, recognizing the stress and the struggle he's under, asking for the surrounding prayers of the church on his behalf. Do you see the humanity of Jesus beginning to be expressed here? As one human to another, he's saying, I need you to pray for me. I need, you ought to stop and think about prayer right now. Because if Jesus is asking for the disciples' in, in, in intercession for him in this moment, think about what this means about your prayers. Think about what this means about the authority and powers of your power of your prayers. Jesus says, I am, I am, I am heartbroken. I am struggling to the point of death. We later learn that in, this, in the stress of this moment, in the stress of this experience, Jesus actually sweats great drops of blood. You can read up on this medically and you can Google it and you'll see that it's an extremely stress-ridden body that, that causes this to happen. And there in the garden, Jesus goes and He prays. And He prays to His Father and He asks if there is something else, some other plan, some other way, can you let this cup pass from me? Please let this cup pass from me. But I submit to the will of your authority and your sovereignty. This is God. This is God. Submitting to the sovereignty of God. This is Jesus in that human moment, in that human flesh, submitting to the sovereignty of God. And he says, if it is possible, please let this cup pass from me. I don't want to drink. I don't want to die. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to do what I have to do. I know what's coming and I don't want to do it. This is the first. This is perhaps... The only moment where Jesus' hum, human desires conflict 
with the will of God. Think about it. The will of Christ in his humanity is in conflict with the will of God in his sovereignty. Jesus has been predicting this for a long time. Now that he arrives in the garden, there's a final act of decision here. There's a final act of will. And do you realize what the final act of will is? Once he asks, twice he asks, three times he asks, and each time he asks for the same thing. Each time he asks that this cup pass from him, but each time he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. In the garden is the final act, Jesus' final act of his will, the act of Jesus stating to God, I will, I desire for your will. This is Jesus in his humanity submitting his human will to the greater will of God. That's the place Jesus is when he submits to go to the cross. When Jesus submits to Judas' kiss. Heartbroken, but surrendered, he takes the kiss. When Jesus submits to the Sanhedrin's questioning, he submits in a surrendered place. Choosing only by faith the will of God. I know we just climbed the high dive of theological discussions about Christiolo- your Christiolo- <laughs> I can't even say the word, your version of Christ as God, and dove off. But I don't want you to get lost in that, thing, in that moment. I want you to catch this one. In his humanity, there in the garden, he submits. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He takes us to an interesting place in Scripture. You see, we're not the only ones. We're not the first ones to think about this. The apostles thought about this. And when they were writing the text, when they were reflecting back on this for the church, so that the church would understand, a church in suffering, a church in struggle, a church embattled in reality, when the church is going through the the pain that the church would go through, the disciples found this moment to be a very strong example of how we might live. If you remember the passage I just read in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, you should be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. We looking unto Him, understanding that He endured suffering because He looked past the suffering. He endured the cross because He looked to the joy. Think of Jesus as the way He's described in Hebrews or in Philippians chapter 2. 
Philippians, when Paul is writing to the, the Philippian letter, they're, having, they're in, enduring these same kinds of struggles. He says, Jesus, he humbled himself and became obedient. Catch the words. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. It's a very, it's a very strong statement that's being made. It's saying that Jesus surrendered his will to the will of God, to the greater plan. And in so doing, humbled himself even to the point where he would receive death on a cross. Remember, death on a cross was a shameful death. You notice that the text said in Hebrews chapter 12, disdaining the shame. I don't care about the shame. Jesus submitting himself to the will of God in this moment. Humbling himself. Hebrews says it even more strongly in chapter 5 and verse 7. Hebrews in 5, 7 says, He learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Stop for a sec. Did the the Bible just say Jesus learned? Hmm. What are you thinking? Has your brain just kind of exploded? Did you think when Jesus was born, he could walk, talk, and do algebra? Did you think Jesus... Jesus could understand the Hebrew alphabet from birth, or did you realize that in his humanity, he learned? Did you realize that in his humanity, he learned spiritual things as well? This text is a powerful statement. It says, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. They're kneeling in the garden. I don't want to do this. I know what this looks like. I've seen crucified people before. I know the pain. I know the sorrow that's coming. I know the separation that will be that I've even feeling now between you and I will grow. And God, Father, please, if there's any other possible way to do this, if there's a plan B, can we can we do that? But if there isn't, I will do what you want. For the believer, for the Christian, for you and I, we have to understand the power of that choice. That you and I have that same kind of power to choose God's will. Jesus believed in the promise of joy to come. Jesus believed if he could get through the cross, if he could endure the pain and sorrow that was in his path, that there was a joy that would follow. Oh, I I don't know that you remember. You probably do because you guys have great memories. Pastor Tim preached about this a while back. He talked about the fact that Jesus was singing Psalm 22 on the cross. Do you remember that? Do you remember him talking about remembering that song? I don't know if songs stick in your head. They do me. Songs stick in my head. Um, In fact, just last night I was having a a horrible nightmare about uh, missing a preaching appointment. This is the kind of weird things preachers have nightmares about, that we're supposed to be somewhere and we're not. And as I was praying, as I was actually, as I was struggling through this whole thing, a song that was sung here today kept playing in my head. It just kept playing in the background of this nightmare. So it wasn't as nightmarish as you might imagine. It wasn't as frightening as you might imagine because this, it had a soundtrack. 
uh, unusually this week, I got to actually be here and last week for practice. And in being here for practice, I heard the song being, being done. And I heard the band and I heard Mikey singing it. And Mikey was singing it in my head. And it was making that nightmare a little less nightmarish. That's the point. That's how you endure suffering. That's how you endure the momentary struggles now because you see something coming. We live in Friday, but we know about Sunday. We live in a life where people struggle. Right now, we're in the midst of this whole epidemic, pandemic, emicdemic, whatever it is around the world. And as we live through it, people are finding it very difficult. They're fearful. They're battling. They're worried. We live in a world that is Friday. We live in a world where suffering is real, where people are really having problems. People are lonely. People are heartbroken. People are broke. People have lost their jobs. We live in the realities of that. But we know about Sunday. You know, it's Saturday right now. It's the Sabbath. Crazy to me. Wild to me. That between the crucifixion and the resurrection, there is rest. Between the crucifixion Horrible. Probably the worst thing that ever happened on our planet. And the resurrection. Magnificent. Amazing. One of the best things that ever happened. Maybe the best thing that ever happened until the final end. There is rest. Between crucifixion and resurrection, there is rest because we know about Sunday. There was rest For Jesus in the tomb because he closed his eyes in peace. Not because he wasn't suffering, but because he was singing Psalm 22. Catch a little bit of it. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. He has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. Imagine if you were in the garden crying out, please let this cup pass from me. And this comes to mind. He heard me. He did not despise my affliction. And then verse 27. This, I think, is the piece. This, I think, is the verse that's playing in his head. Usually when a song gets to playing in my head, it's not the whole song. It's some specific element of the song. This is what I think was playing. This is, this is what I would have had cranked to nine. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before you. You know why he's here? You know how he's staying here? Because he knows the price he's paying saves you and saves me. Jesus endures the cross for the joy set before him. And you're the joy. You're the reason. God looked down through time. He looked at this moment 
He looked at you today and me today and he said, for those people, I'll die. Sometime way back in eternity, when you and I became existed only in the mind of God, only in an idea. Sometime back in eternity, when God decided that he was going to begin to create sentient beings and give them the power of choice, when the first angel was given breath, God had already committed to the cross. Because when the first angel was given breath, he knew about Lucifer. He knew that one of those angels would turn against him entirely. He knew that one of those angels would decide not to follow him anymore. He knew that sin would start and would grip the world when he created that first angel. When he was there in the garden, you remember the story, it's, it's painted beautifully and, and simply in the text in Genesis, where it says that God formed man out of the dust of the earth. Everything else was spoken into existence by the authority of God, and he chose in his desire to be connected with this being to form man out of the dust of the earth. And there laying before him is a fully formed, though not let yet alive, Adam. There on the ground in front of God is the full man, the whole being. Everything, every part that is necessary is present. Everything waits for one thing. That final act of God. And kneeling there over Adam before he breathes into him the breath of life. Before that moment when God's heart connects with man. Before that moment when he brings this person to life. He knows already about the cross. He's already felt it. He's already been aware of it. There's no question in him as he breathes breath and life into Adam's body. This is going to cost him. This is not the first time that God faced the cross. He's been facing it since the idea of giving beings, sentient, intelligent beings, the power to choose. From there to this, he's been facing the cross. Yet, when as a human being like you and me, he had to deal with the pain, when a human being like you and I anticipated the suffering, He was looking for a way out. How did he survive? The joy set before him. Your salvation. Mine. That because people would look on this and they would worship the Lord. Because nations would look on this and turn to God. Singing that verse in his head. For the nations will look on this and worship the Lord. For the nations will look on this and worship the Lord. Today is proof. Billion people around the world proclaim Jesus today. And for that joy set before him, he endured the cross. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Foreordained, prior decision made, before the foundations of the world, but Christ, 
the blood of Christ was made manifest in these last days for you. You were, you are, your friends, your children, your neighbors were and are the joy that he was talking about. The joy set before him. That allowed it, that made it possible for him to endure the cross. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we completely recognize that we don't deserve what you did. Dear Jesus, we have no idea. We are, we're not even aware of what this really was and how much it cost. There's no way we could understand what creating a separation between the Trinity that had always eternally been one. We have no idea what that felt like to you. Oh, Lord, Father. Oh, dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you considered us joy. Thank you that you would rather die than have us stuck in a spiral of sin and death. Thank you that you chose the cross so that we can choose you. Lord, help us to show our world that we all have this amazing gift of your grace, of your love, of your compassion. Oh, Lord, thank you that you considered the likes of us joy. And in Jesus' name, and because of his resurrection, amen.